part two discussion here on compost was different than part one. Do you think anyone would actually notice or, or care? I mean, it would certainly be something I do, right? You know, change it up a little bit, throw some curveballs. Uh, you are nuts, Alan. Well, I, I mean, yes, and and that everyone is my guest, Brian Bly, and. Uh, we're here again talking about compost, and he's our compost guru. And we started off our discussion in part one, and we uh, pretty much got the whole process and, and flow on uh, why make compost and what led us to that and what the process is. And now we're at the part where we're putting it on to the onto the orchard. And again, uh, home gardeners probably know quite well uh, some of the benefits uh, of compost, uh, or so they might think. As I was sitting here, Brian, before our conversation, I started thinking about it. And I'm like, do I really know why I put compost onto my orchards or what it's, or in my, in my garden, not my orchards? Or is it just something that like I've been trained to do? And, and honestly, I think it's something I've just been trained <laughs> to do. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to enlighten me why the heck add compost to the soil in the first place? Like, what are the benefits there? Well, the the bottom line is we're building soil, building healthy soils. And so talking about orchards and almond orchards in particular, you know, you have to really go back to when you as a grower decide to plant an orchard, there's a process involved in that of ground preparation, right? Where you go through and you deep rip, you put these big shanks in the ground and you're, you're breaking up the compacted soil. And then you go through and you do some leveling and you're, scraping off some soil here and depositing it there to trying to get it level. But what we're really doing too is completely destroying any natural microbiological organisms that are already living in that soil. And so we're kind of starting off when we plant trees into that with almost sterile soil because we've killed everything. And so we need to go back and start building soil in the orchards again. And any good grower knows when they walk through their fields where the good areas and the bad areas are. And the reason inevitably is soil, right? You know where your good ground is, you know where your poor ground is. And that's basically because the good ground has nutrients that are available to the plants that have been broken down over many, many years by microorganisms and made available to those plants. And the bad soil has very little or no organic matter and no microbiological activity that's helping to release nutrients back to the trees. So what we're trying to do really is encourage the natural processes of decomposition that would occur like in a forest to promote tree growth. So help me out here. I mean, we have chemical fertilizers and, and you spray it out there. I mean, how is that any any different than, I mean, like, I guess my point is like, who cares if it's sterile? Just throw some nitrogen, potassium, and phosphate on there. Shit will grow, right? Well, and that's what people have been doing for, for a long time, since the 1940s, when petrochemical fertilizers really became, you know, the most widely used part of agriculture. But in doing so, we've forgotten over the many uh, decades that there are natural processes that were already doing this for us, right? So Maybe if we can reduce the amount of petrochemicals that we're putting onto the orchards and engage with these natural processes at the same time, we can reduce our costs, we can improve uh, the health of our trees, improve the health of our soils, and stop any sort of uh, or, or reduce any threats of uh, pollution that might come from those petrochemical fertilizers. Well, and uh, in earlier conversations, you know, you had made 
the analogy when you just kind of mentioned, you know, the, the forest piece, um, you know, you, you can go into a forest and there's trees that you can't even see the top of, and they're not being fertilized by petrochemical fertilizers, right? That's right. And so, you know, if you, if you think about a forest, there's a, a natural succession in forests, right? So if, uh, I kind of think about it like going in and leveling a, an orchard and, uh, and ripping and, you know, disturbing that topsoil is kind of analogous to a forest fire coming through and destroying a forest, right? And it just burns off everything and it has to start from scratch. Well, you don't just have trees that suddenly grow up after a forest fire. You have a whole process of pioneer species of plants and shrubs building up to the, the trees that are eventually going to be the dominant, you know, uh, species in that forest. Well, we kind of don't have the time frame to do that. So we're trying to simulate a forest uh, a succession in a very short amount of years because we only got 25 years in an orchard to do it, right? So we start building those soils right away and compost is part of that process because one, you're putting out a food source for decomposers, which are the microorganisms to start working on. And then two, you're also putting out the microorganisms themselves because they're in the compost and they're the right ones that are, are going to be there uh, and a diversity of them to you know start building that soil. So great. So we start uh, putting that out there um, and, you know, you, you start, you talked a little bit about it and let's dig in a little bit more on how that might impact our, our petrochemical fertilizer use, right? So we're still putting those fertilizers on, correct? Correct. But does the use of compost help reduce or, or mitigate their, you know, their function? It can, and so it depends on the soil that you're starting with. So if you're starting with very fertile soil and you put compost on there, you really don't have to use as much petrochemicals because the trees are going to mine those nutrients out of that fertile soil. Uh, if you're starting with very poor soils, like up on the west side here of the valley, then you start, you have to still supplement with those petrochemicals because they're readily available to the plants immediately, right? And then compost is like a long-term investment that you're putting into that soil with the nutrients because they're going to continue to break down all of the uh, organic matter in that soil, release nutrients in a plant available form slowly over time. Uh, whereas petrochemicals, you know, it's right there available at that point and then it's gone. So we can reduce the inputs of those petrochemicals on soils that, um, you know, already have good nutrient capacity. Um, but we still have to use it where we have really poor soils where we're starting and we're building that soil as we go. Well, and and we test the compost, you know, in our in episode one, you, you talked about, you know, uh, carbon and nitrogen ratios. But I'm also assuming that that gives us a pretty good idea of what we are putting onto the fields that the uh, trees are going to want and, and, and need. So when it comes to deciding when and how much fertilizer we're putting on, I'm assuming we're benchmarking that based on, you know, our historical compost application. So would it be safe to assume that we're reducing the chemical application in, in most cases? Yeah. So particularly with nitrogen, because that's the big one that everybody worries about because it can become a pollutant in groundwater. If we can reduce, you know, we basically, we look at a budget for the season of nitrogen. How much nitrogen are these trees going to need to produce the crop that we want over the course of that season? And then we can take that compost we know what we're getting out of that. We divide that over three years because we do it every three years. And we, we subtract that off of our uh, nitrogen budget for the season. So the answer is yes, 
we can reduce the petrochemicals um, using those sorts of numbers. Um, but again, it goes back to what are you starting with and how far along have you got to build in the soil? So there's a lot of variability in that. Well, and you talk about how we put it on, you know, once every, every three years, you know, and I want to expand a little bit on, on how much we're putting on and, you know, in cases where we have maybe some porous soils, um, you know, w- would we put it on more frequently or, or in heavier application to help supplement? Absolutely. And so we've, that's kind of how we started using compost long back before we started making it. We were using compost to mitigate uh, some of the areas in our orchards that were really not growing very good trees. And so um, to answer your question, yeah, if you've got a, an orchard that's struggling because of the soil, then certainly you could go on and put more than, you know, four tons every three years. You could go back to back years or do it every year. And I don't think it would be um, detrimental to anything. So another thing that I was kind of playing with and want your take on, you know, you kind of see this popping up in some of the the diet and, you know, just holistic health uh, kind of halos where, you know, at least in an orchard, right, you're, you're stuck on your, your big three, your nitrogen, potassium, and phosphate, uh, you know, and, and then in food consumption, your dietary, right, you have these kind of big, big blocks, you know, your calories and carbohydrates and vitamins, minerals and stuff. But, you know, a lot of these you know, whole food diets, um, you know, plant-based diets, right? A lot of them, whether it's, you know, explicit or not, it's really kind of trying to build on this idea that there's, that there's a lot more going on than might meet the eye. And I'm kind of wondering if that's maybe playing here in, uh, in compost too. And I'm thinking like maybe, uh, micronutrient availability from compost or, you know, increased fungal uh, applications and uh, presence in the soil. Does that, you know, how do they build different or symbiotic relations with the plants? I mean, aside from that, you know, your traditional, you know, nutrients that you're putting on for, for an orchard, what are your thoughts on, on some of those other ancillary benefits that, you know, compost might have from just a tree health perspective? Yeah. And so that's the, that's the key phrase, tree health. And so when we put compost into orchards, you're exactly right. You know, you're going basically from a, a, a junk food diet uh, with the petrochemicals where you're giving them just what they need, but you're not giving them anything else, right? To more of a diet where you're more rounded uh, and, and they're getting a lot of those micronutrients that are made, you know, available in the soil. So, we really do see it in the tree health. Uh, we see it in the drought tolerance of the trees because they are creating symbiotic relationships with fungus in the soil that actually expands the root zones uh, and encourages uh, fibrous root growth, which is going to allow those trees to absorb water better and more efficiently. And you, you just see uh, a decrease in pest and disease problems in those orchards because those trees are fighting their own battles, right? Where we don't have to go in and spray every time that um, we see something coming because it hasn't, usually it won't reach that economic threshold of spraying quite as quickly in fields that have the compost, that have the healthy soils because those trees are able to fight off pests and diseases better than if you had weak, stressed, drought-stressed trees. Um, They're going to be a lot more susceptible to pests and diseases. They're going to just not put out the yields that you're hoping for uh, because they're they're trying to fight off all these things, so it's it's really better yields, uh, healthier trees, and, uh, and fewer um, pesticide applications potentially, um, because you're going to have a healthier orchard. 
Well, I mean, that makes a lot of sense too. You know, you equated, you know, your, your petrochemicals to a junk food diet. Um, and we see that, right? We see a lot of junk food diets in our society uh, and those people tend to have um, or be more susceptible to you know, other health issues. So it makes a lot of sense that you would see something very similar, um, you know, in, in an orchard environment. Um, and, you know, in your, in your piece about healthier trees reducing, you know, disease and, 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 and pest problems and potentially seeing that reduction in, uh, in chemical applications on, on that side was something I just really, really considered is quite remarkable, particularly, again, since we're talking about sustainability, right? I mean, the fact that you can add compost and you can make your trees more resistant and in turn potentially be cutting down on your pesticide applications is really quite remarkable. Yeah, and that really ties into the integrated pest management approach that we try to take with our uh, pest and disease management. But you got to have healthy trees uh, for that all to work. So it really all ties together. And um, and like I said, you know, we, we try to use the natural cycles um, that are out there and have them, you know, working for us with this kind of hybridized model of taking conventional farming and fertilizer and combining it more with sort of the organic practices uh, and using the best of both. Well, so let's talk about that kind of holistic piece, right? We haven't specifically touched on cover crops in any of our conversations on sustainability, but it seems to pop up in a lot of different ones. And I'm kind of wondering, you know, how, how that plays in, in, in a soil health and, and maybe particularly how does that interplay with, with compost additions in orchard and in orchard health? Sure. And it goes back to feeding the microbiological community in the soil, right? You have to have something for them to decompose. And so, you know, we put compost down and sure, there's a whole bunch of it there the first year, but by year three, there's not a whole lot left to break down. And so that's where cover crops really come in because not only are you creating or or not creating, but growing those cover crops that what you see above ground uh, in that green tissue that's photosynthesizing and, and taking that sunlight energy, but they're also pushing a lot of roots below ground and they're creating porosity in the soil. Um, they're, they're living and dying and then decomposing and continuing to feed that microbial community that we really want working for us. Uh, and then when you go and you mow the top part of that down, it's the same process, right? It goes back to that kind of analogy with the soil where you have this leaf litter that's falling down on the surface that's constantly feeding the microbial community down there. And that's what we're really trying to do with both the compost and cover crops is just keep that all alive and working for us. You know, so this is anecdotal. And, I, and I, I'm in the middle of town in Chico, and we have we, we have pretty remarkable soil, I just say for the most part. But in my garden, I have two plots. And the one where I've I've been doing compost more frequently I get the sense that it does better holding water. And I and I don't know if that really has to do with the compost or not, but have you seen any effects on, on the soil's ability to, to retain water better after you've had compost applications? You know, I, not so much the water retention from my standpoint, but the water penetration, right? So what we see here in the Central Valley is we kind of get into these long summers and we're drawing on groundwater is we have high uh, amounts of bicarbonates in the water that create a crust on the surface of the orchards. And it's, it's almost like an alkali white crust that you can see out there. Uh, and by having all of these microbes working for us, they're constantly breaking down all of that. And uh, so you get better water penetration. The other part is you also get 
you know, we're creating a food chain, right? So you have all these decomposers that are on the bottom of the food chain, but you also have earthworms and arthropods that are in that soil that are feeding on all these microbes and these decomposers, and they're making burrows, and they're constantly turning the soil over for us on a very small scale, but, you know, there's a whole lot of them out there. So all of that's going to contribute to water penetration, and in the long run, water retention, which should improve with that as well, I would believe. Well, that makes sense, right? If and maybe that's what I'm seeing in my garden is is if that water is is digging down deeper, right? Even when it's 105 or, or more here, right? It can be 150. It was 115 last year. That evaporation is going to happen if that water has been driven deep, deep down, and the soil is isn't overly compacted, so your roots can still make it down there. Maybe that's what I'm actually seeing. Maybe it's not holding water, but it's putting water into a into a, a place that it hadn't and it is more readily available. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to what I was saying about the drought tolerance of the trees too, right? So it's all tied together. So if you have better soil that's allowing water down there, and then you also have a, a very healthy root system in that tree that's in uh, symbiotic relationships with mycorrhizae fungi that are going to actually expand the root system of the tree, they're going to be able to absorb all that water a lot more efficiently. So yeah, the drought tolerance part of that, I think, is a really big benefit as well. So that, I mean, that's a lot of benefits to it. It makes me feel better as a, as a gardener. Like, yeah, okay, I, maybe I was just in the routine of putting it on there, but, uh, you know, reinforce that it, it's a good practice to uh, to be doing. Um, but I'm kind of wondering now, right? So we've, we've been doing compost for, for years. We've got that operation down, um, really to a science out there. Your team's done a wonderful job. I was, I was just really amazed. But like, what, what's next, right? So if, if you were to sit here and say, you know, these are things that we would do to enhance that, right? Is it, is it more compost? Is it buying compost and bring it in into supplement? Um, or, you know, we touched, uh, you know, in, in episode one, a little bit on, on like biochar activated carbon. Um, I don't know. I'm just throwing things out there to see if they stick, but, but where do you see like our compost operation going here in the next five, 10 years? I think we're going to continue to use everything that comes out of our plant uh, every year on our own fields, which works out very well. Uh, we also do put some gypsum out very often with the compost as a supplement as well um, to help with the calcium in the soil. You know, I don't know. We're going to expand on our on the cover crop part of that. And there's a couple of reasons. One is the soil health. The other one is the, the pollinator uh, benefits that come along with that too. So if we can put more flowers out there, uh, for the pollinators in the spring, and we're helping healthy soils uh, continue to grow. That's one thing I, I think we're going to probably expand on. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Well, and I think that's a, a reasonable place to leave it, uh, particularly because now I can plug the uh, the bee uh, podcast that uh, that we released just prior to this one. Jim Watts, uh, Mason Bees, if I'm getting that right. I know uh, rentmasonbees.com is the one I use because I'm uh, getting the leaf cutter bees and putting them in my garden. I'm just so excited about spring. It's right around the corner. Uh, you know, I'm just saw uh, first couple of little buds here coming out. And by the time uh, you all are listening to this, it'll probably be, uh, be full bloom. It's a really exciting time. Make sure you get out there uh, and, and, and see it. It's quite spectacular. Uh, and Brian, thanks again so much for, uh, for taking the time. Yeah. Anytime. Happy to do it. And uh, next time I show up, I'm bringing my, uh, my pickup truck so I can get a load of compost from my garden. <laughs> we'll make sure to load you up. 
Now, uh, listeners out there, don't miss our social media and newsletter posts uh, showcasing uh, our podcast or our compost operation. I know I've plugged this already. It's something new we're trying to do. We want to give you that visual understanding uh, of what we're doing. Don't call it a vlog just yet. We're not quite there, um, but do uh, interact. Let us know, comment, share. If it's interesting to you, we want to keep doing it. If it's not, you know, I don't want to keep doing it. Uh, you know, we're here. We're here for you. Uh, and since it is almost spring, make sure you get out uh, and check out uh, those almond blossoms. Like I said, uh, I'm just going to keep harping on it. It is just truly uh, quite spectacular. And you know, those flowers, they uh, they've turned me into a nut, or is it that they turn into nuts? Either way, it doesn't matter. This is nut news. Yeah, there it is. New music. I told you we'd do it. I told you. You are. New music.